0: it's good to, it's good to hear that it's good to hear the joy of the Lord in this place amen, amen. all right Ezekiel chapter 34 uh, don't forget to uh, keep our ladies in prayer this coming weekend they're going to go on retreat uh, Friday Saturday and Sunday so if you are going we, we're going to pray for you if uh, you're staying back that's okay just you know we'll pray for those that are going and uh and pray that the Lord will have a wonderful time with them and they'll have a wonderful time with him and uh, a good safe trip up and a good safe trip back and a good safe time while they're there. All right, let me turn one light off. Some little gremlin always turns it on, I don't know why. All right, Ezekiel chapter 34. Uh, Last week uh, we began a study in Ezekiel 34 and focused our attention on the shepherds of Israel that had caused the problem for all of Israel, both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Both uh, of the divided nations were taken into captivity. Uh, Israel first of course to the Assyrians and later on the southern kingdom of Judah to the Babylonians. But the problem was the shepherds, the false shepherds or or the bad evil shepherds. And uh, rather than read all the way through. I just want to start at verse 7. We're going to look at verses 11 through uh, through 31. We went through verse 10 last time. But I want to start at verse 7 just for context' sake. And uh, it begins in verse 7, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my Flock became meat to every beast of the field because there was no shepherd. Neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Now, don't think that, that all of that was happening just then. I honestly believe that a lot of that is happening today as well. And therefore, O you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand, and cause them to cease from feeding the flock, neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be meat for them. For thus saith the Lord God, verse 11, behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country." I will feed them in a good pasture, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. I will seek that which was lost, and bring again that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong, I will feed them with judgment." Now in the first six verses of this chapter, as I mentioned a little earlier, the Lord squarely put the responsibility of Israel and Judah's captivity upon the shepherds of Israel. The cruel kings and the priests and other religious leaders who had exploited and demoralized and led astray God's people. It was as simple as that. They exploited the people, they demoralized the people, and they led them astray from the very God that was their God and their King. Now these false shepherds put their own self-interest above the interests of the people, only taking care of themselves by fleecing God's flock for their own personal gain and enjoyment, living extravagantly while the people suffered hunger and thirst, nakedness, sickness and disease leading to death. They ruled with cruelty and force, taxing their own people heavily, placing them in financial bondage, discriminating against them while persecuting the righteous. The horrific abuse and abandonment, the the selfishness and the complacency, the injustice and the exploitation now was about to end. The Lord himself was about to remove and judge these unfaithful false shepherds and rescue his flock from this oppression and abuse. Now if I may say the beauty of this chapter begins here in verse 11 when the prophet declares the words of the Lord himself. So let's go back to verse 11. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. Now, it would be easy to take a quick look at this text and think that the contrast being made is one of bad shepherds versus good shepherds. The fact of the matter is, the contrast is between the bad shepherds and the good shepherd himself. That's the contrast. It isn't against bad and good shepherds. It's about bad shepherds dealing with the good shepherd, one shepherd, himself. And while the Lord came down hard on the leaders of Israel and Judah because they should have known better. See, that's the, that's the interesting fact about things even today. People that stand behind pulpits. You know that in, in a lot of churches they don't even have pulpits anymore. Uh, so, you know, a pulpit is a place where you proclaim the Word of God. I mean, that's, that's just traditional as far as the modern church goes. But nonetheless, uh, no matter what kind of pulpit you may have, at least if you have a pulpit and you have the Word of God, proclaim the Word of God. But uh, it, it's, it's amazing what, what, what takes place even today. People should know better. Instead, they go after their own lusts. Read the, read the little book of Jude right before the book of Revelation in the, in the New Testament, the next to the last book of the Bible. And it talks about their lusts. Read Second Peter. talks about the lusts of, of those that uh, are seeking after their own gain. Uh, Paul talks a lot about it in his letters that, that deal somewhat prophetically with what's going to happen, not only what well, didn't happen just then, but also taking place much later. So the Lord, while the Lord came down hard on the leaders because they should have known better, he, show, he showed compassion, amazing compassion actually, towards his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now there was no condemnation, though much rebuke for their sins. Yes, he rebuked them for their sins, but he doesn't call them ignorant or stupid sheep. Now I've heard a lot of pastors call their sheep stupid and ignorant. That's not a good thing because it, it, it reveals somewhat the heart of the shepherd. I talked last week about, about beating the sheep and knowing some people that beat sheep so badly that they, they you know, they, they left the places that they were staying at. They were looking for God's grace, which is what we receive when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. So instead, what what God does is he seeks out his own sheep, as the text tells us, searching for them, to restore them, to return them to their land, and to refresh and revitalize them by feeding them from green pastures and caring for them as a shepherd, or as the good shepherd is to do for his sheep. That is what shepherds are supposed to do. And if I remember right, I think I I mentioned to you that those of us who stand behind pulpits today are not the shepherds of the the sheep, but under-shepherds, because there's only one good shepherd, and that's Jesus himself. Think about this, if you will. Turn to Luke chapter 15 for just a moment, and consider the parable that Jesus is going to speak. But before, I want you to look at the first two verses of Luke 15, where Luke... uh, records, he says, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. In other words, uh, the publicans and sinners were the bad people to the religious people, you know. These were all the sinners. And they drew near to Jesus to listen to what Jesus had to say to them. And then, notice verse 2, the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And and now, who are the Pharisees and and the scribes? They are the shepherds. So now, with that in mind, look at verse 3. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he has found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, He calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Now, think about that for a moment. Think about who his audience was and what they were hearing. And who was hearing it? The publicans and the sinners were there, but so were the shepherds. Was this a a matter of getting the attention of the shepherds more than the sheep? Was it saying to them, listen, you care so much about yourselves, you don't care about that one lost sheep. Yet heaven rejoices when one lost sheep is found. What a beautiful picture here of our Lord seeking and saving that which was lost. Jesus made it very clear that heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. But was that on the heart of of the shepherds at that time in Israel? Was that on the hearts of the shepherds during the time of of the Assyrians and and the Babylonians? That were called upon, you know, in, in other words, that they, they were allowed by God to come and, 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 and take his own people captive. Because even though the people had sinned and the people had, had uh, disobeyed God and rebelled against God, it was the leaders that led them astray. It was the shepherds that led him in that direction. You know, I'm oftentimes asked, and I'm, you know, I'll just, I want you to bear with me on this thing, but I'm oftentimes asked, well, do you think that, that Catholics are going to go to heaven? I said, you know, it's not for me to judge that. I mean, only God knows their hearts. Please understand that. But I'll say the greater judgment is going to be upon the ones who have led them, you know, away from the word of God or led them away from the true Christ. I've known some Catholics that love Jesus, and they really say they, you know, have a personal relationship with him. I pray for them that, you know, God will open their eyes so that they can get away from that, which is not, is not true. But, I mean, you know, the, the, the tradition and all of that, it's, it's, it clouds up the truth about Jesus. But the point, But the point is, the Lord knows the hearts. But the greater judgment will fall on those who have led them astray. That's, that's the, the thing that, that burdens my heart about anyone that is leading others in God's word or away from God's word. I hope and pray that I continue to lead you into God's word and see the truth of what it says. Ezekiel 34 verses 13 through 15. Now getting back to our text. Notice what uh, the Lord says through the prophet. He says, and I will bring them out from the people. And gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. You know, that that's already started. That's already started. People, people are, are, are moving. It's, it's called Aliyah. They're, you know, they're making Aliyah. I mean, coming back into the land. And from everywhere. Out of all these nations. It's setting up for what we're going to see later, but it is happening. I will feed them in a good pasture, in a good feeding ground, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. In other words, a very abundant pasture with good food. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. Words that are very, very similar to the words of David when, he's, when he Sharers from his own heart, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me besides still waters. I cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. The Lord, as the good shepherd, is not in the habit of gathering his sheep to beat them for their many sins. That is not the Lord's habit. Though, by the way, we would be deserving, Right? Though though we, we're deserving, I mean, the Lord doesn't do that, or, or does He place them under excessive and laborious burdens, as some people might portray God as one that likes to place heavy burdens on people? You know, number one, we shouldn't misrepresent God, but we need to remember something. God doesn't like to be misrepresented. See, this is the reason why we need to know the fullness of his character, even though we may not know fully on this, on, on this earth and in this life how, how fully you know, God is as far as in his attributes. I mean, he, he's not to be known like anyone because he's above all of his creation. But we do know what the Bible tells us about him. We know that he's powerful. We know that he's awesome. We know that he's holy. We know that he's righteous and just and true. We know that he loves. We know that he's a God of life. There's, there's so much that we should know about him. So we shouldn't be misrepresenting him by, by taking, you know, little portions of scripture where he has to judge people and say, well, you know, he's the judge and he's always the judge and, you know. No, no, but, but but you know what? He loves his people. Why would we say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? And whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life if he is not a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of grace. And we see this not just in the New Testament, but we see it in the Old Testament as well. So again, just, just remember that that the good as the good shepherd, he's not in that habit of of gathering the sheep to beat them for their sins. And many times, who beats, who, who beats themselves? We do. We beat ourselves. We don't play, you know, He doesn't place us under excessive and laborious burden. Something that is very much implied here is that of God responding to the calls of His people. Now, we don't see it as much in the book of Ezekiel, but we do see it in this in the very same prophets that were speaking to the people before they fell into this uh condemnation well i don't know, I won't call it condemnation before they fell into their, their captivity before they fell into their discipline that God was putting them through he he was disciplining his people so that they would come back to him so he wasn't beating them he he had He let them go off on their own because, you know, you you want to be this way? Okay, but this is what you're going to have to face. So this is what was happening to them. So the other prophets were crying out to Israel and and Judah and telling them, come back to God, come back and return. Return to the Lord, repent of your sins, and he'll hear you. Call unto him, and he'll answer you. So that's that's the calls of his people that I'm talking about. For example, Isaiah 55, verse verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. You know when he's near is is when he's really doing everything he can to get our attention that we're going in the wrong direction. And he wants us at that point to wake up. And then when we wake up and see where we are off the beaten path, we need to call him and, and he brings us back. Now, that's a simple simple look at this. But nonetheless, go to Psalm 18. Go back to Psalm 18, verse 3. Because a a few of these psalms, and there are many, many more. I just got uh, uh, three passages that I want you to see. Psalm 18, verse 3 says, I will call upon the Lord. Now, this is a psalmist here. David, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. You see, he's facing something. He's facing some kind of opposition. He's facing some kind of attack. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. Go all the way to Psalm 55, verse 16. And notice once again what the psalmist says, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Because it was understood in their hearts. If they called upon the Lord with all of their hearts, soul, mind and strength, if they sought the Lord with their hearts, God would answer them. God would listen to them. Think about every time. Some of you were probably reading the book of Judges recently, you know, about, about last month, because that was part of our readings so you read the book of judges and 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 they went through this cycle of just rebelling and then god had to judge them and then the judges came and and got the people to look unto god and then they would repent of their sins and then they would live for a uh, you know a certain amount of time serving the lord and then they would fall away again and it was just this terrible cycle of just you know up and down up and down up and around and everything else so uh that that's the the understanding though, but because God only knows the heart. I mean, God knows our hearts. We don't know them, so He knows when they're calling upon Him. And He says, "I will, I will save you if you call upon Me." So the psalmist says, "As for me, I will call upon the Lord; the Lord shall save me." Now go to Psalm eighty-six. Psalm eighty-six verses four through seven. Now I was just only going to give you a couple the verses six and seven. But then I started reading around it, and I, ne- I needed us to see what He's. Saying here in verse 4, it says, Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, let me say that again. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. So he's good. He's ready to forgive. He's, he's full of mercy, plenty, plentious in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Then he says, give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee for thou wilt answer me. Now listen, folks, I don't know about you, but I talk to a lot of people that are always in trouble. I mean, they're just always in trouble. And I just want to ask them, why are you always in trouble? Maybe, 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 just maybe, you're not praying, you're not really praying. And you're not praying in faith, and you're not trusting the Lord. And you have a disconnect with God, but you don't want to, you don't want to believe that, you don't want anybody to believe it, so, but you're disconnected. And it's not God who disconnected. He, God pays his bills. We disconnect. We stop praying, we stop reading, we stop studying, we stop living for the Lord. And what happens to our lives? You know the drain? <laughs> There's that cycle, circle. When do you finally say in the drain, Help! Lord, when? I know I'm probably, I'm probably preaching to the choir here. Or maybe you're watching a live stream. And it's talking to you. It's saying something. Give ear, O oh Lord, unto my prayer. And attend to the voice of my supplications, the, the things that I'm, I'm laying down to you that I need in my life, Lord. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee. Now please understand, we, we pray for others. We, we pray for a lot of people. We get, uh, you know, we get texts and emails and, and calls and whatnot. And people ask us to pray. That's fine. That's all right. We need to pray for one another. God called us to pray for each other. We should lift up the burdens of others. But here's the thing, too easy, it's too easy to say, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. And I, I know I've said this before, but I turn it around and I say, you know what? I'm not gonna pray for you, I'm gonna pray with you. But you gotta, you gotta pray, because God knows your heart. God knows your trouble. You can tell me something about your trouble but a lot of times, I'm not going to get the truth, but God already knows it anyway. So, what are you bringing it to me? And giving me only half of the stuff. I, I, besides, I don't want to know the other half. I really don't. But I do want to know that you're praying. We have to call upon the name of the Lord. What are we doing if we're not doing that? So, from the calling to the Lord, there's also the coming to the Lord. We call, but then we come. Because there's one thing that people forget that God does He says, come to me. Come to me. James put it very easily in his his, uh, epistle. He said, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's throughout the whole of scripture. But listen, if you will, to Jesus in Matthew 11. I know I've read this probably four or five times in the last month and a half. I don't care. You need to hear it. Jesus is saying this. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, much of the heavy laden and labor and heavy ladenness that he mentions here was certainly being placed upon their backs because of of oppression and and slavery and all kinds of other stuff. The problem, though, for us is that We put a lot of burdens on our own backs. We put a lot of stuff on our backs. We carry a lot of guilt around. We carry a lot of stuff. Baggage. God says, I want want you to walk free of that baggage. So he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, when you come to Christ, the, the one thing that we go from to the one thing that we go to is that we go from a restlessness in life without God and without Christ to a rest in God and in Christ. Now we might struggle with some restlessness in in the in, in our walk with the Lord. But we're you know that's an everyday thing. We're going we're going to struggle with things. But You know, people always say at the end of the day. No, no, at the beginning of the day. At the beginning of the day, you got to rest. You got to begin by resting in God, resting in Christ, resting in the power of the Holy Spirit, resting in power of the word of God. But you got to open the word of God when you get up. I'm not slapping anybody around, am I? Okay, just a little. Just a little bit. I'm just trying to let you know that the patterns that we set in our lives, if we set them daily and habitually in Christ, and it becomes a habit, you know, the habit of holiness, the habit of devotion, the habit of, of spending time, the habit of prayer, then it becomes like breathing. I don't think any of you ever forget to breathe in the morning. No, because it just happens, right? I mean, we're we're alive. And now I know that at night some people have problems breathing because they have certain, you know, conditions. You know, they got to use a, ma- a mask or something so they can breathe. Because I tell you what, I've been with people, you know, that 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 they stop breathing at night, and they're like, oh, and you want to go? Well, just the, the pumping part. Hey, wake up. But you breathe. You know, you breathe every day. You don't have to think about it. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. You don't have to think about it. It's it's part of your life. That's how prayer needs to be. That's how fellowship with Christ needs to be every day. Okay. Jesus goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I've explained this many, many times, so I'm not going to explain it tonight. Take my yoke upon you learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. There's rest twice. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know why it's easy? Because he carries us. He says, get rid of that burden. Let me be the one who carries you. That's how wonderful our God is. That's how wonderful our Lord is. So in our day and time, too many Christians are burdening themselves with an excessive amount of work to make ends meet and consequently do not spend any time with the Lord, nor is there time for fellowship with other believers, not to mention time to testify and let others know about Jesus and and what he has done on their behalf if they will believe. In other words, to witness Christ. Some of us have forgotten That good part of sitting at the feet of Jesus, just like Mary, the sister of Lazarus, Lazarus used to do, she would sit at the feet of Jesus. Martha, her sister, would get all upset. Oh, Jesus, she's always sitting at your feet. She never helps me in the kitchen. And it's Jesus that said, Martha, she's doing the better part. She's doing the good part. It's not that what you're doing isn't important. But it's better to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. Je- Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. Where's your heart? Where's your attitude? Where's your life? Or even more seriously, what about leaving our first love as the church of Ephesus did? Revelation 2, chapter 2, uh, chapter 2 verses 2 through 5. Revelation 2. Jesus is actually sending a letter to this church by messenger. And it's Jesus' words. It says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. I mean, this was a strong church in a lot of ways. But notice it says, and has and borne and has patience for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, he says, I mean, this is a work and this is an organization. Nevertheless, he says, I have somewhat against thee because thou has left thy first love. So it must mean that all this stuff that you do, as important as it may be, is not the most important thing to Jesus. Because he says, you have left your first love. Remember therefore, I want you to listen to what Jesus says. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. Remember where you left me and repent of that and do the first works the first works sitting at his feet, worshipping him honoring him, loving him telling others about him or else did you ever have a parent that said you better clean up your, your room or else I didn't know what came after or else Or else I'm going to hang you by your toes outside. Or else I'm going to shoot you at dawn. So what am I saying about this little phrase, or else? If if Jesus is saying it to a church, you think he's just kind of like, oh, just a little hyperbole, you know. What? Man, he means this. Repent. Do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Jesus doesn't just threaten like our good-meaning parents used to do, and sometimes still do. Right? You better go clean your room or else you're not getting, or else, or else, you're not getting dessert. Or else. Oh, you know, then you would, the mom would get it nice and neat. Okay, you didn't clean it all, but here, here's your dessert anyway. Oh, Jesus said, hey, no, 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 you don't repent. Psh, take that candlestick out. So what what church. And it's the first letter to the strongest church of all as far as organization is concerned. What is that telling us? I think it's important for us to realize what our daily life is to be like with the Lord for our sake because He loves us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants us to have Him at the center of of our lives. All right, we've got to move on because of time. The Lord was going to repair and He was going to remedy everything that the false shepherds did to His people. He has go, he's got to go in and He's got to do all of this repairing. Look at verse 16. I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong." That is, those that got fat on the people, those who became strong on the people, I will feed them with judgment. Interesting words. To contrast the force and the cruelty with which they ruled the flock, the Lord was going to deal with the false shepherds with justice and equity. He would destroy the arrogant and domineering leaders who abuse their authority. And he says, I will feed them with judgment. You've been eating on the people. Now I'm going to give you something to eat. You want to eat something? You ever heard that from your parents? You you want to, here, try this. (sighs) Ah, What lessons we have to learn hard way. You want to get fed here. Here's judgment. I want to feed you judgment. You start talking really, you know, st- saying stuff with. You know, right, as kids. Maybe I'm just, maybe this doesn't happen anymore. Because now you have that, that little pump spray, you know, thing to wash your hands. Man, before we had these ugly little bars of soap that you bought at Safeway or, or Furs for like 50 cents and it was a stinky of soap and, and you, you know you said a bad word at home and man you, I want to wash out your mouth with soap <sighs> and don't think they didn't do it you want, you want to say that here You're going to, I want to feed you judgment you like getting fed then I'll feed you that's what God was saying let's read on verse 17 and as for you O my flock thus saith the Lord God Behold, I judge between cattle and cattle, between the rams and the he goats. Seemeth it a small thing unto you to have eaten up the good pasture. Now, he's he's also talking to these leaders here. Think about it. Seemeth it a small thing unto you to have eaten up the good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pastures. And to have drunk of the deep waters, but you must foul the residue with your feet. You drink of the good water, but then you clean your feet with it so nobody else can enjoy it. And as for my flock, they eat that which you have trodden with your feet, and they drink that which you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God unto them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean cattle because you have thrust with side and with shoulder and pushed all the disease with your horns till you have scattered them abroad therefore will I save my flock and they shall no more be a prey and I will judge between cattle and cattle the Lord is going to do a good amount of separating one day a good amount of separating he's going to separate the sheep from the goats He's going to separate the wheat from the tares. The time frame is for a future restoration, specifically a time after the tribulation period, just prior to Jesus setting up his millennial kingdom. And we'll talk about this more as we go on in in, in Ezekiel. But this is the time that he's going to judge the sheep and the goats. Those sheep that come to Christ during the tribulation period will enter the kingdom age with Jesus. Those who have rejected Jesus and make it through the tribulation period, those who have taken the mark of the beast, as it were, and, and other things, uh, they're the goats. They will be cast into Hades until the great white throne judgment, and they will spend eternity in the lake of fire. That, that's, that's the bottom line. And we've talked about that many times, especially when we study the book of Revelation and, uh, <clears throat> and the book of Daniel and a few other Of the uh, uh, prophetic books. Verse 23, and I will set up one shepherd over them and he shall feed them even my servant David. He shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. Now it is thought by some that the psalmist King David would resurrect and he would shepherd his people once again. There have been some people that, that actually think that based on this one verse. But the truth is that this is speaking of the son of David, who we know is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Because I want you to consider a few verses that are very clear in the Scriptures because the Scriptures will not contradict themselves. But in John chapter 10, we're going to start in the New Testament and go backwards. In John chapter 10, actually we're not going backwards, we're going to go forwards actually. But uh, anyway, let's go back to John. John chapter 10, verse 11, what Jesus said of himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now you go down to verse uh, 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Now look at something interesting in verse 16 of John chapter 10. Verse 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, that's speaking of the Gentiles, them also i must bring and they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold <clears throat> excuse me one fold and what one shepherd one shepherd got it okay so he's good shepherd and he's the one shepherd then uh, go down to first peter chapter five verse four. four first peter five verse four because there paul uh, i'm sorry peter says and when the chief shepherd shall appear The context, of course, is pointing to Jesus Christ. When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So Jesus is not just the good shepherd and the one shepherd. He's also the chief shepherd. All right. So now that's four verses giving us three distinctions. He's the good shepherd. He's the one shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, Hebrews 13, it says now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect or complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We have to read all the way down there because who's getting the glory? Jesus says, Who is Jesus? Here, he is the great shepherd, that great shepherd of the sheep. So what do we know about Jesus, then? We know that he is the good shepherd, he is the one shepherd, he is the chief shepherd, and he is the great shepherd. Everything points to Jesus. So David had uh, a blessed uh, uh, life, and he had a blessed testimony, and a blessed witness, a blessed uh, uh, work that he did. But everything after David would point to the Son. Of David, And who would the son of David be? Well, there would be the Messiah because the Messiah was to come through the line of David from Abraham. And even before that, but Abraham, of course, began the, the, the clear distinctions. And so it is clear that our shepherd, Jesus Christ, is the good shepherd, the one shepherd, the chief shepherd, and the great shepherd. We as under shepherds, pastors, are not to lord over the sheep. But to care for them and to love them and to feed them, because of the great shepherd, he's the example. Second, uh, Second Corinthians chapter one verse twenty-four, Paul says, very, in a very small statement, he says, "Not for that we have dominion over your faith. We as as under shepherds don't have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand." Now I wish more pastors read that about their own ministry that we are to be helpers of your joy. I want you to be joyous in God, joyous in Christ, rejoicing in the things that God has done, rejoicing in the things that God is doing, rejoicing in the things that God is going to do as we see the day of Christ approaching. And for us to trust in the fact that those who have come to Christ have come by faith, and in that faith you stand. You don't stand because of me. You don't stand where you are because of any person that's ever ever said anything to you about Jesus. You stand because you have faith in the Lord. And we are here to continue to build you up in that, in that blessed faith. So, in the day of Israel's restoration then, uh, to God and to the land, the Lord will recognize them as his covenant people. Let's read on, going back to Ezekiel 34, verse 24. I'm putting it into overdrive now. You ready? Okay. Verse 24, And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. Great great word here to describe who? To to describe the Prince of Peace. We know who that is from the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will make with them a covenant of peace, a covenant of peace. I don't want to spend too much time on this because we will get more of this later, but I really believe that we need to understand that, again, when we talk about peace in the hearts of believers, we are at peace because our war with God is over. We have, we have you know, we've allowed him to defeat us and, you know, in, in that battle, you know, that we, we struggled with God, we've allowed him to beat us and, and what, who gets the benefit? We do. We do. Remember when Jacob wrestled the Lord? I mean, God could have wiped him out, but, you know, what did he do? Took his, you know, hip out of out of joint and stuff. But why? And then what did he do? He blessed him. He blessed him. I will make with them a covenant of peace and will cause the evil beast to cease out of the land. I want you, I want you to draw a, 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 rel, a relatively futuristic and prophetic understanding here to, the, to this statement that I'm going to be making. I will cause the evil beast to cease out of the land and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them in the places round about my hill a blessing. My hill, what would that be? Zion, what used to be Mount Moriah and all of that. I will will cause the shower to come down in his season. There shall be showers of blessing. Where? On his hill. And the tree of the field shall yield her fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase, and they shall be safe in their land, and shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them out of the hand of those that serve themselves of them. There is still yet history to be made for Israel. That's why they're back in the land. That's why it is important for us to consider the whole of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation as pointing to Israel's restoration with God. And not just cut them off because, you know, they've sinned all this and we're the church now and we're the redeemed and all of this uh, replacement theology that all these amillennialists, you know, these people that don't believe, you know, that uh, anything is good for Israel anymore. It's just wrong to think that because of the scriptures. And notice, if you will, in verse 28. they shall no more be a prey to the heathen neither shall the beast of the land devour them that may very well be a future indication of of the Antichrist and those nations that are led by the Antichrist but they shall dwell safely and none shall make them afraid and I will raise up for them a plant of renown and they shall be no more consumed with hunger in the land, neither bear the shame of the heathen any more. Thus shall they know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, even the house of Israel, are my people, saith the Lord God. And ye, my flock, the flock of my pasture, are men, and I am your God, saith the Lord God. The picture is a beautiful one that the Lord is painting in this passage. He will shower his people with blessings, an abundance of food, an abundance of protection and safety, everything that they could ever need. Now Israel and the land of Israel today is much more prosperous than it's ever been, but it's still not in a good place yet there's still poverty and there's still hunger going on in the amongst the amongst the jews themselves because they're fly, they're, they're flocking into the land so much and they you know the the the, the government is, is trying to help them out families from what i understand and I may, I may be wrong with the numbers but but it's fairly close that people that make aliyah and come to israel and become citizens of, of the state of israel are given, I think it's around two and two thousand or twenty five hundred dollars for each person to at least get started. But that's hardly anything anymore. You know, one of the highest, one of the highest rates of living anywhere is in Jerusalem. It's hard to live in Jerusalem; it's very expensive. And so, you know, trying to live throughout the land, trying to live simply, you know, these are the things that you see over there. And nobody, nobody really lives extravagantly because they're just many times just trying to make it. So. There is an abundance, yet there is still not really, you know, this heaven on earth there. Uh, But the people are coming. But everything that we read here, everything, these are words of hope. I want you to remember that the nation was at that time of this prophecy in captivity in Babylon. Jerusalem was a desolate wasteland. The temple was destroyed. There was nothing beneficial of any consequence in the land itself. And yet, the Lord said that he would not only restore the land, but also his people. So it wasn't gonna be then, it, there may have been some little, uh, you know, little restorations along the way. But this is pointing to a time that is yet to come. And it's not that far from us, but it was far from them. Consider something of great significance concerning Israel's rebirth in May of 1948 and what has happened since and what will happen in the very near future. Think of the words of, of, of Paul in Romans 11, verses 25 through 27, when he said this, For I would not, and remember that chapters 9 through 11 are Paul's uh, teachings concerning the people of Israel, concerning the Jewish people. He says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part... Is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So it's all working toward what is happening right now in Israel. And uh, again, we're going to deal a lot more with the... the, uh, prophetic aspects, the closer we get to chapter 37, and in chapter 37, we're going to see a tremendous uh, chapter dealing with the the rebirth of a nation uh, by the picture of the resurrection of dry bones. Uh, And we'll talk about that then. But to close out our study here tonight, a couple of things that I want to ask you. Some questions based on what we've already heard. First of all, the question is, are you abiding in Christ? Are you abiding in Jesus Christ? And the second question is, is he abiding in you? Because it can't be one or the other, it has to be both. Are you abiding in Jesus Christ and is he abiding in you? In other words, are you dwelling Each and every day of your walk and life, are you dwelling in the presence of Almighty God? Are you dwelling in the presence of Almighty God? Is he the central focus of your life? Now, let me say that he certainly wants to be. He wants to be at the center of your life. And he wants to feed you the wonderful nutrition of his word. He wants to give you his protection from the enemy. He wants to give you rest from all your labors. And he wants your life to be fruitful. And if we want to know, not only from the passage that we read today, that that's his heart for his people, let's just listen and close with the words of Jesus in John 15, verses 1 through 8. Because I think Jesus makes it very clear what I, what I believe that God gave to the prophet Ezekiel to tell his people in hopes that they trust in the Lord to be restored fully and completely by the time that the Messiah would come. In John 15 verse 1, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the husband. And my father is, is the gardener or the farmer as it were. I am the true vine; my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away. I'm not going to go into great detail about this. So just listen to what he says. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it or prunes it. Now, those of you that are, are, you know, have gardens and stuff, and you got flowers and you got roses and whatnot, or whatever it is that you might have, after a long winter. You, know, you, know, you need to go out there and you need to start preparing your lawns and stuff, but you, you have to go out and, and prune your trees or prune your, 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 your rose bushes or prune your you know, flowers and all of that because it, 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 it allows for more fruit to grow, very simply. So he purges it that it may bring forth much or more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. You want to bear fruit, you got to abide in, in Jesus. Again he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Without Jesus you can do nothing in your life for your life through your life you cannot do anything if a man abide not in me he is cast forth as a branch is withered and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned if you abide in me and my words abide in you you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit so shall you be my disciples if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. That that kind of statement. Uh, if if we're in the flesh, the first thing that comes to mind is, "Oh, I can ask anything, anything." Well, I have this list. It goes all the way to the door, and we say, "I can ask anything, and it's mine, right?" Or maybe what we need to ask is, Lord, I just want to be fruitful for you. If we kind of keep it within the context of this passage. If I shall ask what, I, what you will. Well, what is my will? My will is, I just want to do the will of my Father. So Lord, help me do your will. And it shall be done unto you. Thank you, Lord. I just want to do your will. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. Now I can bear much fruit because you know that what I care to do, what I delight to do. You know, if if we believe what it says in Scripture that, you know, that the Lord wants to give us the desires of our heart, well, what's your desire? My desire is to honor and glorify Jesus Christ with everything that I can do. And if I find myself in a position where I can't do that, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do that, whatever that is. And you walk away, get away from it. Because if it's going to bring shame, I don't want to bring shame to the Lord. I don't think any of us want to. The enemy will do all he can to get us to bring shame to the Lord, right? A lot of times the people in the world don't, don't come to the Lord because they see <clears throat> what is supposedly the church on TV. Doing all kinds of weird stuff, believing all kinds of weird things, preaching all kinds of, you know, prosperity things that, you know, listen, we're prosperous because God has given us so much. What do we do with it? That's the question. That is the main, the main question. What are you doing with what God has given you? We're just called to be managers of what he gives us. That's called stewardship in the scriptures. It's really his, isn't it? It's still really his. Yet he allows us to enjoy it. And it's a wonderful thing if we understand this balance. If you abide in me and I abide in you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and whatever you ask, whatever you will it shall be done. So consider what you ask. Consider that it comes from knowing that Jesus dwells within you. If, uh, and, and I pray that, that he does.